if you really want a lesson in persuasion, you should pay attention to what politicians are doing in front of crowds. You could see how they operate. You could pull back the curtains and you can find out how sales are really being done on a level you probably haven't imagined. Every single message you deliver is really a sales call. Either you are selling or being sold. Salespeople love to brag about their skills. And the truth is, your success in closing sales depends on your skills, your abilities, and finding the right training. And the great news is, you have come to the right place here at The How to Sell Show with your hosts, Dale Bell and Scott Sylvanbell. And be sure to join the party at howtosell.live and download your copy of The 10 Common Mistakes Salespeople Make. Aloha from Sacramento, California. Today, today's a good day. Just so you know, we are going to talk politics. And you're like, what? Wait a minute. I thought this is the how to sell show. And I'm going to say you're darn right it is. Politics is a sales game. And there is tons that you can learn from it. And whatever team you like, whatever group of people that you you vote for, that's cool, but I'm going to encourage you to do something a little bit different today and to think of things just in a little bit of a different light. And if there is a group of politicians that you don't like, I would challenge you to do this. Why don't you look for what they do right when it comes to persuasion or when it comes to getting people to pay attention to their message? Because you could always learn something from somebody, even if you don't like them. So today, I'm going to talk about uh, a little bit about American politics and about both sides of the aisle, but I'm not going to get into issues. I'm just going to name names, okay? So if you're like, ah, you know, I don't really care for one side or another, hey, I'm going to be very impartial on this, and I'm just going to say, here's who does this really well. So when I talk politics, that's all I'm going to say. Here's who does this really well. So I'm going to do this is I'm going to break down this episode into different sections. I'm going to give you some ideas and then I'm going to give you some some ways to implement. And to begin with, politicians are taught to watch what they say. No, not like, hey, don't say this, don't say that, but more of put things in a simple idea. And if you take a look at Bill Clinton here in the United States in the early, early 90s, he was up against G.W. Bush, George Walker Bush. And he coined a phrase, it's the economy, stupid, right? And if if you take a look at that on its face, it's a very simple idea. It's a very simple concept. It's something that people can understand. It's something that people can relate to. It's a total of four words, and they're all very short words. So it's is one syllable. The is one syllable. Economy is three. And stupid is two. Like very basic idea. Very easy to understand. And the reason I bring this up is most people read somewhere around the sixth, sixth grade level here in the United States. And smart politicians are going to talk to below the ninth grade level. So the more, the more verbose, the more thought-provoking the idea is, and the more smart you're thinking that you're sound, you could be losing people. And complex ideas are very hard to follow, just like numbers are hard to follow. Like without, without graphs, if I start throwing numbers at you, your brain's going to go, whoa, 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 whoa. Time out, Scott. Don't know if I can handle it. So somebody who does this very well is uh, Donald Trump. Donald J. Trump uses very small words. He uses short sentences. And his words 
are typically three to four syllables. I know the people who taught him how to do this, and I'm going to let you know they're very good at what they do. Very good at what they do. And there's a lot of reasons why Donald J. Trump uses the word choices that he does, the sentence structure that he does, and how he does things. When you take a look at the other side of the aisle, you got President Obama. President Obama was very good at rhythmic words and sentences. And it was also the way that he enunciated things. The way that he talked is a slight form of hypnosis. And I know you're like, hey, Scott, really? Are you serious? Yeah. I, I mean, all, all presidents, all politicians study body language, neuro-linguistic programming, and to an extent, the speaking elements of hypnosis because they're doing things to get a crowd. And you're like, Scott, there's no way. I said, I'm going to let you know. And I'm going to say, yes, it's true. And so like, you're like, hey, well, why would you tell me that? Well, because I want you to be able to leverage this information as well. And, you know, for you, it comes down to protecting yourself to see what's going on and understanding the situation. Body language. Uh, here's something that is an idea that politicians use that you could use. Let's say that somebody says, hey, Scott, what do you think about XYZ company at your competition? Well, I can, I can minimize what I say about them, and I could hold my hands at a short distance and go, yeah, they've got some information. And then I would say conversely, and I would open up my hands wider and say, I have a lot more things that I can go over with you. And, and politicians are taught to do this. The people who've been in office for a long time, they've got the best coaches. They've got the best trainers. There are companies that bring politicians in and say, you're going to rehearse this speech. And then they put it in front of a focus group. And then they change one word. Then they change two words. And then they they say, like, you need to pause longer when you say this or when you say that. And so they use their body language to their advantage. One of the mistakes that George Walker Bush made, GWB, is in a debate with uh, Clinton, he looked at his watch like he was bored and they were asking about the economy. And it had a negative an, uh, had a negative impact on what George W. Bush did. I'm not going to say that that lost the election for him, but it did cause some problems. And in the, in the power of body language, there's this thing called right of center. And if you're looking at a photograph, politicians will jockey for this. And what they want is... They want to be the person with the handshake right above their belt line. So it almost looks like the other person is reaching out. If I wanted to give you a real-life example of something like this for a power of body language with right of center, then if you're looking at a photo, uh, President Trump would be on the left, and let's say he was going to shake hands with Putin, uh, Putin from Russia, then Putin would be on the right. So it's almost like that... The body language has to extend further, and you'll find that sometimes this comes down to the way that the hands are are being shook. You know, President Trump is known for being aggressive when he shakes, shakes somebody's hands, uh, and these are all things to pay attention to. It's a power move. Uh, politics is sales. The power of name recognition. Like, you look at how many... Uh, congressmen, senators, presidents put their name on an idea or on a bill or on a project. They want that name recognition. So, like, I mean, I could have, like, the Scott Sylvan Bell bill. 
whatever it would be for. It'd be for a partying on the beach. <laughs> it would be for watching sunsets. It would be for eating chocolate. It would be for bigger pecan pies. <laughs> it would be for more Rocky Road ice cream, right? These are these are the Scott Bell party bills. Uh, extra spare, extra ribs to barbecue on the beach. I'm just like, like surfboards for all the guys out on the North Shore of Oahu. Like these are the bills that, that I could produce. And depending upon who the base is, is gonna everybody's gonna get excited about this stuff. You name the product yourself, and self promotion is huge. One of the ways to look at this is how you label your competition. And if you're the first person to label the idea, you have a win. And I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a polarizing topic here. And let's talk about guns. Okay, so like uh, someone may say an assault rifle. Well, it's a way to describe something. It's a way to have an idea about a product. And I will let you know that the Democrats in the United States are way better at this than the Republicans are. Uh, the Democrats tend to name everything. They, they give it a negative moniker. And so if, if you were going to have to go against a competition, you could name something about their product or something about their idea and give it a negative moniker. You're always on the record. Some politicians get caught up in forgetting that they talk to reporters. They're like, oh, I forgot to ask, am I on the record? Am I off the record? And the general rule is you're always on the record. And how you use this as a salesperson is, one, you pay attention to what you say about people, how you say it about people, and the way that you explain situations. And sometimes when you build rapport with a buyer, you get a little bit excited because you think you're going to close the deal because you got the buddy close going. And you forget that you're talking to a client and you say silly things, stupid things, especially if you've been talking to them for a while or you're tired or hungry, they can go off the rails. You can cause yourself a lot of problems. All mics are hot all the time. I don't know how many times politicians get caught up with forgetting that the microphones are on. As a salesperson, you should be checking your phone to make sure that you hung up with people before you say anything bad or before you do anything silly. Every time that you're going to send a message, make sure that you're sending it to the right person. Ah, the power of the press. You take the story to the masses, but you pre-format your ideas. If you're around television enough, what happens is producers like the idea to be formatted. You do a lot of the groundwork for somebody and you say, hey, here's my idea. Here's all my talking points. Here's all my questions. And I'm going to pull back a little bit of information on you in a slightly different way. If you ever see somebody being interviewed about a book, on a TV show, chances are pretty good the hosts have not read it. What the hosts do is they're given a list of questions from the author, and the author can give them five to 10 questions, seven to 15 questions, and they're questions that they know about. And so you would think that, hey, look, they're being interviewed. It sounds like this person read the book. No, no, that author is on talking points. If you're pre-formatting press releases or ideas or marketing templates, you have your talking points on there. You have your bullet points on there. And with that being said, you could pitch the idea to a producer. You tell the producer what you want to talk about. And sometimes they're going to say, yeah, let's do it. Your ideas should make the other team, the other side, the adversary, your competition go on the defensive. Make them have to defend their position. And since you're the, the first person to tell a story, it's chances are people are going to believe your story first. There's tons of studies on this. My, my good friend, Dr. Kevin Hogan, talks about this study where 
they do this just about every year. They'll go into a college room and they'll have the freshman class, a sophomore class. A professor will get up front of the room and he'll tell a story and make people pick a side. And then at the end of the semester, the professor comes in and says, hey, I want to let you know that I made up that story at the beginning of the semester or last week or last month. And people will still fight for that side. They'll still pick for that that idea. And this is replicated over and over and over again. This is why politicians fight to be the first person in front of a microphone, because it's the power of the first story. This comes down to using the surprise attack method. You drop a bombshell. So it's not just the power of the first story. It's like, now that I've got the story up, ah, I'm going to go one step further and I'm going to drop a bombshell. And that puts the other side or the adversary or competition on defensive. One of the things that you could do to use the power of the press is you could get people to embed with you. So this means that you're like, hey, I want to do a story. You pitch it to the producer and you say, here's what I'd like you to do. Can I bring a reporter with me? And what they normally do is they're like, hey, depending upon how big the story could be, you may get a rookie uh, news crew person, or you could get one of the top people in town, depending upon how big of an idea it is. You flank yourself with your generals. You bring your team with you. By you having everybody around you and you have everybody surround you, it gives the appearance of great things going on. George W. Bush was very good at this. Uh, President Trump is very good at this. And the generals or the people who are the higher ups in the cabinet are the people who are answering the questions. And people look and they're like, well, if it's just the guy, if it's just the girl standing up there by themselves, who believes in this idea? But if you have 20, 30 people up there with you, like everybody's there, is wow, this is this is overwhelming. There's a lot of people that believe in this product or idea. And so the way that you flank yourself with your generals is through testimonials, through reviews. You have somebody allow them to get phone calls if someone's skeptical about a product or service. That's your team. That's your generals. You get video testimonials. You could bring somebody with you to a product presentation, and they're, they're like, hey, I've got this thing too, and it's worked for me. You do really want to understand the power of the first story. You know, uh, being first in a situation gives you a lot of benefit, gives you a lot of cover. This means that you have to be prepared. This means that you, on any given moment, could call the right person, could tell the right story, could have your notes ready to go. And the more emotional it is and the more emotionally charged it is, the better off it is. The more that you can paint the picture of an enemy and somebody's trying to take something away, nobody wants anything taken away. When you take a look at how people process information, the fear of loss is greater than the fear than the, the recognition of gain. People just don't want to lose something that they already own. And so if your story is emotionally charged and you're talking about what somebody has to lose... There is some power there. They could be losing money from a deal. They could be losing out on a new product. Somebody else could be trying to take something from them. And if you're a salesperson, it's usually municipalities or government agencies or competition that's trying to take something from somebody. And something could be time. It could be effort. It could be energy. It could be money. It could be recognition. There's a ton of stuff on the line when it comes to business. When you're talking about a story, you got to understand the power of the reframe. And politicians are really good at this. And it doesn't matter what side of the aisle they're on. doesn't matter what country you're in. I do know that I have listeners in other parts of the world, not just the United States. But the, the most common reframe 
in one version or another is this. It's not this, it's that. I'm not saying this, I'm saying that. I'm not saying that, I'm saying this. And if you pay attention at heightened emotional moments, this is usually where the best reframes are. And so a politician will be up on a stage and a reporter will be asking them questions. It's usually around a really important topic that the reframes come out. It's not this, it's that. Start paying attention. You're going to see and go like, oh, I see him doing that. Know your stats and be ready to use them. Politicians love, 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 love to cite poll numbers. Well, the poll says this. Well, this is what the public says. This is what the opinion is. Or if it's not a poll, it's a study. 73% of people agree to this. Well, 12% of people don't. And so like, oh, really? I heard a study. I heard a stat. And the brain's like, oh, scientific information? I like it. Now, you do have skeptical people, but for the most part, if you have the first story and you're giving information, this just bypasses all critical elements of the brain and just goes, oh, okay, it sounds good. Sounds good. Sounds good. And so what you'll find is in a reframe, you'll hear politicians say the fact is, the fact is, the fact is a lot. Uh, I watched some presidential debates recently for the Democratic nomination, and Joe Biden does this a lot. The fact is, today's a Wednesday. And they're like, no, it, today's a Tuesday. But everything is a fact to him. He's been in the game for a really long time. And if you pay attention, he'll constantly like, hey, I'm going to reframe. The fact is this. And I think I counted four or five times in the space of about a minute and a half where he used the phrase, the fact is, the fact is, the fact is. Have talking points. Somebody asks you a tough question. Your reframe is it's not this, it's that. And then you tell a story. Politicians love to do this. You know, I like to watch uh, politics from the UK because when when somebody's mad in the UK, it's just so elegant. You know, it's <laughs> the, the word choice is completely different than here in the United States. All politicians have their, well, you know, here's what's going on. And by the way, let me tell you a story. That's a huge reframe because now you can't go back. Now it's it's not polite to go, wait, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. We were talking earlier, like, no, 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 we changed the subject. Changing the subject with a story is an amazing reframe. Politicians have go-to phrases. You should probably have five or six go-to phrases that you have that you could use in a tense situation. It gives you a couple seconds to think. So someone will come to a politician and say, hey, I want to, well, I want to know what you think about raising taxes. Well, a go-to phrase could be, hey, that's an interesting question. It's something that I think about for my constituents a lot. That's about five seconds. And your brain's like, I got five seconds to think. I got five seconds to think. That's an interesting question. It's something that I think about a lot for my constituents. And like your brain goes, okay, now I've got new information to load and it's not an ambush and it's not an attack. And your clients are going to be at a point sometimes where they come at you and you're, oh, I don't know what to say and I don't know what to do. You could use, that's an interesting statement. That's an interesting question. I would love to delve into it more. Tell me more of what you mean by that. That's a classic reframe. You can have your own routine. And this is something that I have worked on explaining to salespeople when I'm in a front of a room more times than you could imagine that some people will say, well, I don't want to work off of a sales script. And I'm going to let you know, every salesperson I've ever worked with uses some sort of a sales script, even closers. Closers just have their scripts memorized and they're personable and their stories. And for the most part, they're about 95% of the same thing. 
I don't know how many times I've written with top salespeople and they tell the same story over again and they know exactly how long it takes to pause in between the joke and they know how long it takes to pause between the next sentence to get the emotional tear jerk out, to get the conversation going, but your routine builds you comfort. So I have go-to stories. I've got my 34 pound cat that I used to have, my buddy root beer. I've got flights to Hawaii, trips to Hawaii, speaking engagements that I've done things that I've been able to accomplish in my life, uh, my speech problem, my articulation disorder, that's a story. And it just, each one of these is going to come out at a certain time. You can look to see how you could reframe or minimize the other person and say their story really isn't important. You know, sometimes people would say, hey, Scott, what do you think of the the competition? They named the company. I'd go, who? You know, that company. I was like, eh. Like, that says everything you need to know. That's a reframe too. Eh, eh. Yeah, right. Just that noise. Sometimes people will say, I guess you're not very impressed. Well, and then they might come back and say, well, why is that? Well, I mean, I would love to share it with you. But what I have to do is I have to tell you a story first. And you roll into a story. With that being said, you do have to know how to talk about the competition, the adversary. And I've been watching some political debates lately here in the United States politicians love to refer to their adversary as the people on the other side of the aisle. My friends on the other side of the aisle. Well, the reason that they do that is they don't want to come across in a negative light. They don't want to say, hey, these people are screwing up and I don't like them. They do that sometimes, but for the most part, it's usually like my adversary says this. My friend on the other side of the aisle says that. This is a common problem that I see those people do and they put them in a group. Be very careful about what you say about the competition. Sometimes people will build rapport with you just to get you to talk trash. You got to get your base riled up. So whatever politician, whatever party you vote for, and whatever country that you're in, start paying attention to the emotional words that are used. And one of the cool things that you could do is you could get a speech and transcribe it. However you're going to transcribe it, you could do it by hand. There's companies that do it for you. But go through and look for the power verbs and the emotionally charged words that are used. And you will see that there is manipulation at its finest with all politicians on all sides of the platforms in every country. They're using emotions against you and they sell on fear because once again, the the fear of loss is greater than the consideration of gain. Who's taking away what? They always, politicians always, create an enemy. They're very good. This is the reframe itself. They're very good at turning someone, something, an idea, a concept into an enemy. Politicians are good at giving specific instructions. So in here in the United States, they may say, call the news. They may say, call this person. And if they got a loyal army, a loyal followers, they're going to do it. They're going to make some phone calls. They're going to, they're going to pound the phones. Sometimes they'll say you have to shout louder than everybody else and they'll use a mnemonic device. They'll use a rhyme. They'll use a song. They'll use easy to remember ideas and concepts. And then what they'll do is they'll say, hey, if you like me, go talk to your neighbor, go talk to your friends. They get referrals. There's definitely a lot of things that you can learn if you pay attention to the persuasion power of politicians. And sometimes it's difficult, especially if you don't like the other side or you don't like the person that you're, you're watching or paying attention to, but there's always something to learn. 
there's always something to pick up. And you'll be surprised if you take your emotional elements out of it, you might just learn a lesson. Thanks for checking out this episode of the How to Sell Show. You can join the party at howtosell.live to get the show notes, links, updates on new episodes, recordings of previous episodes, articles, as well as videos. You may not know this sales secret, but sharing this episode with a friend will bring you good luck. See you soon. Mahalo.